This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What's up, everybody, and welcome into episode 93 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about bass drum tuning techniques and how to get the sound you're looking for. Our featured artist this time is Poison's Ricky Rocket. In our gear review section, I'll be checking out the Sugar Percussion Cherry Stave Snare Drum. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll get to our picks of the week, so let's get started. Boom! God, that felt good. <laughs> Must be podcast day, huh? It's, 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 it's <laughs> the yes. only time I snap throughout the entire week. <laughs> That's true. It's the only time I care that much about my snap. I like, <laughs> like as we're leading up to it, I kind of rub my finger, and my thumb together. I'm like, okay, I've got just like that proper amount of moisture to make a good solid snap. We're we're <laughs> we're ready oh, to man. rock. Moisture. You said the word moisture. Yes. <laughs> I didn't say. I, I, no, moisture is a totally acceptable word. Moist is the problem. Moisture is fine. Need to get some moisturizer, keep my skin moist, everything's good. And then, and then if something's moist, that's the problem. Get your I mind heard, out of the gutter, Dawson. I heard a, uh, the local uh, weatherman, he, he's, he described the sky as being milky. And for some reason, that what? just made me nauseous. <laughs> like a milky sky. Uh, it's like, is there a better word? Can you just say cloudy? Does it have yeah, to be cloudy? Milky? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you're a weatherman. Like, you should know the name of the clouds. You know yeah. what cumulus is. And, you know, it's like, go go in depth. Don't go with milky. It's low hanging fruit. It's low hanging fruit. I hate How milk, doing, by man? the way. <laughs> <laughs> I never drink milk. I'm good. I'm good. It's hot as heck out here, 90 degrees. Oh, man. Heck. It's like, you got that in just in time. We went straight, straight to summer. So, woof. Yeah. Uh, here it's nice Uh, we've got like this is probably the end of our springtime we've got about another week of this kind of 75 degree thing um and then we're gonna get nailed so uh now are you there now meaning like are you stuck at 95 and over or would this just be like a little heat wave and then you'll come back down well allegedly it's supposed to go back down for for a little while like this is today's supposed to be the it the it for the the heat wave I don't know. Nice. Whatever. I'm inside all day. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know. I know. It's the same as when I travel to Canada during the winter. They're like, better pack warm. And I'm like, why? I'm in a store all day and they keep it at 85 because it's so damn cold outside. When I go to Canada, I bring a freaking tank top, man. All right. So let's talk about it. You got in some recording. I did. I did. This was really fun. He's an old friend of mine that I've known forever great songwriter he just writes songs constantly so like every year he's got another 30 songs that he wants to to record wow this batch was all just kind of 70s kind of inspired john denver meets social distortion like a little bit of a, a punk but still kind of a 70s thing so anyway all very straightforward so How i was cool. able to get uh 12 songs done in, in two days which was was super cool because I was just, it was like kind of like first instinct, just play it and go. There's only two songs where what I first heard was not what he was originally okay. hearing. So I had to go back and try because he gave me like almost no instructions. Just here's the songs, do what you do. Which was cool, but I made a, I limited myself. Like I'm not going to change the kit at all. I, I'm going to give myself two snare drums, a shallow drum for faster tempos and a deeper drum for slower tempos. Same cymbals because I wanted to, he wanted to have like a band sound. So I didn't want to okay. go like full on. You know, LA studio style where the drum sound changes on every track. Sure, sure. So it was cool. I used a uh, five by fourteen Superphonic and a six and a half by fourteen Nickel Over Brass that 
They wow. worked on every song. And then what about so because you are constantly testing gear, do you ever risk it and just bring some symbols that are kind of that you're testing out for the magazine, or did you do you always bring your own stuff that you that's tried and trusted? That's funny you ask because I used a set of Pisces that I'm reviewing, and I okay. It was important that I got all the tracks done because I was going to not have those symbols much longer. <laughs> <laughs> I used the uh, the new Masters Thin, which oh, are cool. amazing. The 24 inch ride, 22 inch. They're just symbols. 24 inch thin, 22 inch thin, 20 inch thin, uh, and then I used 16 and 15 inch hi hats. Wow! Really, really nice. It's kind of like uh, I mean, we'll obviously talk about this more when I do the the actual review, but. It's like they took the giant beat concept, like just symbols. Yeah, symbols. And then right. last year they put that into the big beat, which was like the 2002 version of that. Right. And then they did it again with like the traditional style stuff. Because cool. now they have these three similar kind of vibe, like big symbols that can that are thin and kind of cover everything. But you've right. got the bright giant beat. You've got the kind of complex but still bright big beat. And now you've got these masters which are the big warm luscious dark sounds but still have that like peisty clarity i was gonna say it's got to be a nice like somewhere in between istanbul agop and and what we think of as peisty yeah it was it was a definitely a unique sound it it gave the um like the articulation of the symbols was really impressive because normally when i think thin dark b20 symbols the articulation could be kind of like low and, and woody yeah. but this had that like crisp high-end thing wow. even to the to the point when it made me realize that my snare drum mic and my overhead mics were slightly out of phase because i could hear the cymbal articulation so clean in all three mics wow it sounded like a delay like there was actually a delay between the the mics jeez that's really awesome. weird so they're cool yep. symbols I, I would definitely recommend people check them out the masters thin is the, the series and cool. just a lot of fun yeah, so That's I used awesome. that on the 16s were really actually on more tracks than the 15s. Wow, can't we wait just, to hear the yeah. the full review. That's awesome, man. Well, congrats. I mean, that's got to feel good when you're in a session and you're going through and just ticking off songs. And the guy who wrote the song is like, "Yeah, we're good." And you're like, "You don't want yeah. nine more takes?" Like, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you must be kind of keeping up with this. You know, over the course of two days, you're like, "Dude, we're nine down." Yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, I, I would assume just like being an athlete in the zone you gotta at some point feel like dude I'm, I'm just knocking this one out of the park and not in a cocky way but just more of like a relief like cool what yeah. what my natural instincts are is working for this project yeah. and most importantly the singer songwriter is getting what he or she wants so. exactly it was just the last one that was like completely off like I wasn't even really? close to what he was hearing I was hearing it like an up-tempo <laughs> Tom Petty running down a dream kind of beat okay and he's like no that's not it at all it should be like a slow kind of blues feel like whoa all right that couldn't be more opposite wow (laughs) now when you played that okay you must have to have a bit of artist in you that is there ever a time where you disagree with the singer songwriter but it's not your job to disagree so you just play whatever they want yeah i mean it's well he gave me first first instinct to do what i wanted and and he was like that sounds cool but that's not at all the field that i was going for so i'm just saying when you finally hit his field did it open up to you and you go oh now i get it or did you go no i I feel i think it sounded pretty cool the way i did it no it ended up way better doing it the right way okay (laughs) it it went (laughs) from this kind of like you know kind of predictable acoustic rock song to like oh now it sounds kind of like moody and, and heavy right I mean, I, I've definitely had that experience uh, where 
I really thought like I kind of knocked this one out of the park and then they had me just completely do something different and I was like I'll do it for you just to show you how bad your idea is. Yeah. And yeah. then when I then when I got in the control room I was like, "Yeah, your idea is amazing." And now the whole song just opened up and that's why I'm not a session drummer. So Yeah, well it uh, takes it takes that perspective. And first of all, like I wrote the song, so he's hearing the full right. the full thing in his head. He just didn't articulate any of that, but I also like the idea of having someone who's never heard it saying, "Eh, not quite right because we it's hard to have perspective when you're playing the drums especially sure. when it's like first take i i got the song i charted it out i go record immediately i'm just going with like first instinct you know yeah. and it's it's not always right such it's a cool thing too to have a, a second pair of ears whether it's the singer songwriter or even just a producer but sometimes you have to bring in somebody else that can hear it from a perspective other than yours yeah and that's that's the reason why the greatest singer songwriters in the world still hire producers it's just to get mm-hmm. that second opinion and if anything get a few more ideas flowing around the room from trusted people the trust yeah. is the is the big issue it's like as long as everyone trusts each other, then we can start having really good discussions. Sometimes people get so emotionally attached to their drum parts or their bass parts yeah. that when you suggest to change it, it really turns into a very hurtful situation. It's like, yeah. dude, I don't, I don't mean it like that. I just mean lay out for that one bar. And the <laughs> yeah. bass player is like, no, that's like my favorite bar of the whole song. I don't want to lay out. I hate you. And I'm like, whoa. I've whoa. definitely had that too. I've had that and I've had the um – like so, so one guy was just kept asking me to play more ridiculous fills, like just to the point where I'm like, all right, now I'm making fun of myself. Like I'm going so over the top. Right. But you know, he picked the last one when I was literally like, all right, I'm going to tell him to, you know, go, go somewhere. So I just played like caveman fill and that's the one that made the record and it sounds awesome. So it sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> trust, trust. It's a big deal. Awesome, man. Well, I, uh, now is this something that eventually we'll all be able to download and buy? I hope so, but I mean he's he's notorious for recording records and not releasing them. So All right. <laughs> I'll know cool. something. Too. Well, you let us know if if we can get it. I look forward to checking it out. <laughs> right. um, I think my uh, my trio is uh, one. We finally have a band name, which is rad because uh, we keep uh, we <laughs> we've been calling ourselves. <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> we've been calling ourselves Chard. Because the first time we rehearsed, I was drinking some green drink, and my guitar player was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, oh, it's like kale and a bunch of chard. And he's like, what is chard? And I was like, oh, it's the greatest word ever is what it is. So that became our band name. And then uh, my wife vetoed that right away. Yeah, um, it's kind of a nasty so word. It's a great it, vegetable, but it's kind of a nasty yeah, It really is. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so we, um, uh, we picked a band name, which is Man on the Moon. Sweet. And... And we were we're going to play for the campers this week, so it'll be our first time playing nice. in front of humans. Do you have a whole and set? We, no, no, no. Uh, we're just playing two songs for the campers, and then we'll turn that into a Q and A because I want them to have, I want the campers to have a chance to say to talk to a bass player and talk to a professional guitar player and ask oh, them cool. what yeah. do you wish from your drummer? You know, what do you think when a drummer does this or does that? It's like I'd rather them hear it from them than me saying the bass player hates this, the guitar player yeah. loves this. It's like, well, they're here. Let me get out of the way and just yeah. ask them, you know. Cool. Um, and most likely some of their answers will be like, uh, I just did that three minutes ago and now I know not to do that anymore. So, uh, uh I hate when the drummer goes to that secondary ride and he just stays there the whole time because he's sponsored by Meinl. And, and I'm like, oh, damn, okay. Uh, hopefully on trash can lids. Uh, but anyway, so so yeah, so that'll be fun. And then uh, uh, one more song getting finished up now, and then we go and record our first EP. And it'll be nice to have a musical product. Nice. You got a studio I, picked out? 
Yeah, we have a few in Sacramento. The problem is finding the balance nowadays. You don't get to just, at least for what I do for a living, you don't get to just pick a studio. You have to pick a studio and a look. So I have to have the place with the right producer and the right uh, gear, but it also we're not going to just record this for audio sake. It has to be filmed and everything. Uh, so finding that balance is tough. I've, we've got some studios in Sacramento that look amazing, and that dude just has a laptop with some plugins. Yeah, you know, but his live room's <laughs> killing. <laughs> and uh, so, so yeah, so um, we'll see what we can find. But m- most importantly, I think what I'm most excited about is the camp coming up in Ireland because there's always this moment, whether it's myself, Spot, and Mark, or myself, Ash, and Mark, where campers go to bed, we sit in the control room, and everyone kind of shows their newest recordings. Mm. And I'm like, "Uh, do you want to see my newest lesson? (laughs) Or I I haven't recorded anything in like 10 years. (laughs) Um, So, you know, and the stuff I have done wasn't personal to me at all. It was like, yeah, Yeah. I'll do your album real quick. But um, so I don't have that moment. So to finally be like, hey, this is is me expressing myself. I'm really excited about it. So it should be fun. When's that coming Uh, up? Next month? uh, In August. August. Yeah, so got a little while for that. So. All right, let's get into some education. Uh, you probably had to deal with this while you were in the studio, and I just dealt with this yesterday because I switched out my bass drum heads. But we're going to oh, talk cool. about bass drum tuning techniques. Yes, bass drum tuning. That's you know, I think what we should where we should begin is: Do you tune your bass drum the way you tune your snare, the way you tune tune your rack tom, or do you literally just put it on and feel it more as a tension thing? Are you are you hitting mm-hmm. like from tension rod to tension rod? Initially. So I would say when I first put heads on, I balance them. And, and so what do you I mean get, by that? I get all the tuning tuning uh, lugs to the exact same pitch. Okay. Both heads relatively the same the same spot. So kind of okay. uh, usually higher because I'm kind of stretching the head out. So I do like right. to initially get them perfectly tuned just like I would a floor tom or, or something. Um but then it kind of just goes all haywire. So right. <laughs> I think maybe that first step is just for me to feel like I'm doing something right. And but. that's why I wanted to bring it up is I want people to know that it's not the science that it, for all of us, it's not the science that you think it might be. Um, that mm-hmm. bass drum is a different drum because one, we're not going for tone generally, unless you have an 18 inch bop bass drum yeah. that is actually acting as your third tom. We're not going for tone. We're going for an amount of attack, um, a certain amount of sustain, usually very little, and definitely a pitch. Am I yeah. trying to fill up the room with low end, right. or am I trying to get some slap and some attack to cut through? Yeah, and that's um, the the trick that I've found is that there's a very f- narrow window between sounding like a paper bag and sounding like a marching bass drum. It's a very narrow. <laughs> Isn't window. that crazy? Like, totally. Like maybe even half a turn of the tension ride where you go from yep. like just slap, like you're smacking slap. nothing to like now you're hearing this note. It's like getting in the way of the bass guitar. Like yeah, a pure pitch. So an actual pitch. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. So that's kind um, of I, I kind of keep I I amend that by um, or mitigate that by keeping the batter head pretty pretty low all the time. Okay. I would say it's sometimes it's so low that I can finger tight the lugs. Uh, I can actually loosen them with my hands. But can you see wrinkles in the head without without touching it? Or is it just tight enough to have no wrinkles? Yeah, it's okay. probably just above. But, you know, again, like I said, everything goes haywire. Because, like, I do tune my bass drum pitch, the fundamental to the, the tonic of whatever song I'm recording. Okay. So rather than, you know, getting the tune bot out and being freaky about making sure the front and back head are, are even, I just, a lot of times, just grab the top two tuning lugs on the batter head and use that mm-hmm. to change the pitch. So sometimes right. it goes down to where there's wrinkles. Um, and if I and then if I can't get it achieve it with that, then I'll go to the other lugs. So 
I don't really know where it ends up, but ultimately I start with it just above the wrinkle point, and I okay. use the the front head to control how kind of uh, raspy and punchy I want it to be versus how. By kind the of, front head, you're saying the rezzo head? Yeah, right. One further versus, away from your foot. Yeah, versus how round and boomy I want. So the the front head for yeah. me is the boom factor. Yeah, and also I, pitch to a degree, but in general, it's like do I want it to be kind of gnarly? Kind of, kind of papery. Then I'll tune the front head all the way down, and it kind of yep. rattles in a cool way. It sounds yeah. really cool. I think of like soul coughing records whenever I have it tuned oh, that way. Best, oh, it's like a papery one, kick drum. Yeah, sound. yeah. I it's think uh, soul coughing and uh, um, and Rudder's first album. Those are like my two mm. favorite bass drum albums. Uh, where yeah, each yeah. each each track has like this thing where you're like how the hell did they do that and the cool thing with soul coughing is like you know they tracked it it wasn't we weren't using a lot of samples yet yeah we weren't layering samples and it was like oh man i remember sitting in i think it was atlantic atlantic records i can't remember who they're on but i was either i was in the i was in their a and r's office this mm-hmm. is when my band was getting signed and that the the soul coughing record um which is their second one uh, the yellow the one list. with the monkey on it oh yeah, that's el oso I, I, whichever one had like their first kind of hit, yeah. Um, so it was either second or third, but it was just getting it would it was just done. It was getting ready to come out. I'm sitting in the ANR's office, and he's like, "I'm so bummed about this project." And I said, "What is it?" You know, and I was there with a producer, and he said, "Well, I think it's really the greatest album that Atlantic or whoever it was Interscope has ever put out, but no one's going to buy it. It's just <laughs> yeah. it's just too good. It's too cool. It's too hip." It's too ahead of its time. And he played it, and I was like, can you send me that? Like, Or yeah. can you give me that cassette tape? <laughs> I was like, that is, the, that is amazing. Why, why would that not be on the radio? And he's like, I'm telling you, we have already shopped it. No one cares. The singer. Like, Some people yeah. hate the singing on, on yeah. their records, which I the love. Talking. I think it's I do amazing. Too. I think I, I, one of my favorite bands. So bass drum tuning, back yeah. to that. So you that, know, that sound f- I get by having the front head like all the way down, like maybe sure. even to the point where every lug is detuned all the way. It gets a kind of mm-hmm. a flappy, airy thing that's really kind of yep. neat. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I actually do the same thing as you. The front head, um, or I'm sorry, excuse me, the batter head, the one that I'm hitting, I tune it at first like it's a loose floor tom but i do get it in tune and then uh, i give it cpr so while the bass drum is laying on its side and the batter head is facing up i put my hands in the middle of it and i do about 20 push-ups mm. and i'm just stretching out that head or i sit on it and i bounce up and down people lose their mind when they see you sit <laughs> on a bass drum head as long as it's not too loose it's gonna be all right but i usually don't sit on it anymore but i'll, I'll do some push-ups on it and just kind of stretch it out get it back into a good tuning and then i'll do the same thing for the rezzo head the mm-hmm. head that's furthest away from my pedal and generally what i'll do whether it's here at the studio and i have nate do it or if i'm doing a clinic or a drum festival someone else has to play my bass drum and i go out to the yeah. rezzo head and then that's how i adjust my bass drum is from yeah. the rezzo head yeah. while somebody's just giving it nice slow quarter notes i just have to reach um, around with a uh, mallet so i can hear yeah. it from the front there you go but, but yeah i mean that's do it. Yeah. such an important thing you're 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 up to 20 inches away sound wise from where you hit it it, so when you the drummer's perspective is not what that drum sounds like not at you all know? if you that's that's what it, probably the number one mistake that i see is drummers tuning the bass drum f- to make it sound big and boomy where they're sitting right which nine times out of ten that means that front head is way too tight and it mm-hmm. and out front it just sounds like it's just choked like there's nothing, nothing to it Pong. but that yeah. gives you that big bloomy low end at the seat but it's not projecting yes. anything <laughs> it's like such going a nowhere. weird dichotomy man <laughs> like it's a frustrating uh, instrument 
It, it really is. is. So I mean, it's, every time I've hated my drums, my sound guy was like, "That's the keeper." I'm like, "Are you sure?" Because I'm really not having fun. I'm hitting wood blocks. He's like, Dude, "I'm telling you, those things project." Yeah. So and then yeah, when you get I into mean, recording it, that's a whole other. What I oh what boy drives me nuts now is the outside mic that I put on the head, like close to the front head. Yep. Again, there's a fine line where it picks up a little bit of tone versus when it picks up a pitch that just drives me out of my mind. Because I don't want to like always muffle the drum with a pillow to where there's no no resonance, right? But if there's that there's like a hum that it's just above half a turn or something. All of a sudden, right. it becomes this like no noticeable pitch, like someone's hitting a keyboard yeah. constantly. And it's funny too because if you find that frequency in your EQ EQ and just drop it negative twenty dB, you actually lose everything in the kick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not as simple as like ah oh, just we'll just EQ that out. It's like no, it's 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 covering a wide range of frequencies and it's yeah. driving me crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that is, you, I mean it's sometimes if I'm going for like a less muffled sound, sometimes I'll tape like a square of paper towels on the front head, kind of mm-hmm. kind of if you look at like an old marching band drum line, they usually they used to tape big wads of of paper towel on them. I'll do that. Sometimes it gets rid of it. Sometimes I just have to just bite the bullet and just put some more muffling inside the drum. Right. I tend to do yeah. more muffling than not, especially with when there's microphones involved. Like the yeah. the uh, the tracks I recorded over the weekend, the I used actually I did use two bass drums, so I'm kind of lying about what I used. I used all old Ludwig <laughs> drums. I used a twenty and a twenty two. Okay. And the twenty two had a, a bedroom pillow in it. It was just I think old Ludwig kick drums sound best with a bedroom pillow. I know. It's crazy. It's like all it's, these other devices. They, they all I sound have. like a sample. Like they they just do their job. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. But um, I got rid of all that hum and, and yeah. it was I've used you know, I've I've obviously you and I both get sent every gadget known to man. Um but I've used every muffling device there is, but I still usually come back to that DW hourglass shaped pillow. Yeah, that one's um, good. I can't use it because I I like to put the um, the Shure Pyramid mic inside the drum. Oh, okay. And there's nowhere yeah. to put it on that pillow. Yeah, good point. Yep. But it's great for live. I use it. I use it in my live. Yeah, it just it just works, and it, and I like the. There's something telling me that because of that hourglass shape, that the middle of my drum gets to do its job, mm-hmm. um, whether that's true or not. But uh, but I like it, and because I'm playing a. 14 inch deep bass drum it touches both heads perfectly um yeah so those are nice i use it, those. It works I, good. I use the remo um, sausage things most of the time yeah so i'll put one too. on each head and then i'll put a t-shirt in the middle just to give something in the middle break up the reflections yeah and to give something to lay the microphone on felt strips I, I, I always want to do use them but inevitably they buzz and again it just drives me nuts it, the yeah. microphone picks it up yeah uh, what else have i been using lately did you ever go? Uh, did you ever go crazy back in the eighties? Because I went tinfoil. No, I was. I, never I was that. told that Lars did that. That was a lie. Uh, I also, <laughs> I also lined the inside of my bass drum with uh, aluminum foil. Heard wow. that. Uh, so you were going that, for like a bright, loud. Well, yeah, I was just part. listening to Pantera and, and Metallica, <laughs> and I and I had heard that that's what everyone's like. Oh, well, you know how? Uh, what's tin Pantera's foil. drummer's name? Vinnie uh, Paul. Vinnie Paul. They're like, you know how Vinnie Paul gets that sound, right? I'm like, no. They're like, well, one, he duct tapes silver dollars onto his drum head, <laughs> and two, he uh, he lines the inside of his bass drum with tinfoil. I'm like, I have both. Oh, I have both man. of those items. I'm going home right now to do that. <laughs> I was 11, dude. I wasn't. I wasn't like you know. 
editor of Modern Drummer. I was just like, yeah, let's do this. That sounds like a great idea. So I use weather stripping. That was probably the dumbest, most painstaking process of gluing all that on on the top of my drums, the inside of my, you know, the inside of the heads. I'm like, oh, now I, now it's not in my way. And then it's like, well, how do you take it off? I'll just take the whole head off, I guess. And then you pull it off and it just, it's like all still there. Yeah. You can't, you can never get it all. I mean, that was one. And then actually the, the most interesting technique was my uh, drum set teacher, Mike Shepard. He he took a, I think it was just a, a thin blanket, put it underneath the entire head, and then cut it so it was only covering half of the head. So it was like the oh, blanket wow. was okay. covering half of yeah. the head. But he would cut it all the way around so you couldn't really tell. It's kind of like a felt strip that would be covering half of the head. What a cool thing. And it sounded amazing. And it wasn't as yeah. dead as you'd think it would be. It still sounded like a... Like I bet a that'd be perfect for private drum. drum instructors out there that just need to bring their drums down a little bit, but don't yeah. want to go to full, like, Remo silent stroke heads or something, you know? Yeah, so, so, I mean, I've kind of come to the conclusion that muffling is... All the different stuff just do the same thing. They just try to focus the low end a little bit. You know, right. all these yeah. different techniques, just focusing. There is one device that, I, that I've been checking out, the Kick Pillow pro or kick pro okay goodness now i've got to look it up oh boy it's a it comes the editor it's a small let it go i think it's called kick oh man sorry everyone kick pro (laughs) hello don't worry they're just driving it's fine they've got like another 10 minutes it's called a kick pro kick it's like a it's basically like a a rectangular sandbag muffler so it's really heavy it's not something i would put in my gigging drum because it's going to add 15 pounds to the drum but it goes in the drum and it kind of it it, it yeah. it's it's weighted so it, it makes the shell not resonate as much so it gives you a, a much more tighter focus sound and you can you can have it set up so it's not even touching the heads and it still has a pretty drastic impact that's cool it's only it's great for a studio on Sweetwater. Yes. yeah it's great for a studio and i also use it when i'm not using it in the drum it's like a counterweight for my for some of my mic stands if they start going oh crazy. nice there you go perfect <laughs> Well, guys, get out there and start messing with your bass drums. Just this is the one thing that I always try to get across to new drummers, no matter what their age. You're not going to mess up the drum. Just try stuff. Yeah, just I, I have people all the time that say, "Hey, can I bring in my kick drum for you to tune?" I'm like, "Well, how, what have you tried?" And they're like, "Oh, I, I'm not. I haven't touched it since I got it." I'm like, "Oh, dude, you should just have a whole day of messing with that thing. Yeah, just just trial and error. You're not going to hurt the shell." Um, man, I used to crank down marching drums with a with a ratchet so yeah you're, you're gonna as be tight fine. as it could go yeah yeah no literally with a with a ratchet yeah, or a I socket did them too. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> used to bust the lugs off those things totally <laughs> and still the shell was intact it was fine didn't even chip i was like uh oh, we gotta order another lug from yamaha but other than that we're good uh oh, yeah. all right well let's talk about featured artist mr ricky rocket that can't be his real name Oh man, I can't what accept is his it. name. Let's, let's, Wait, let's you know his real name? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna Wikipedia it and see if he's on. <laughs> yeah, there. you are. We're gonna discover you, Ricky. No, Ricky. I just can't. I can't imagine it was Richard Rocket. <laughs> I mean, that's a, if, it, if it was, he's got the coolest parents ever. Well, they just had the name Rocket. What are you gonna do? He is Richard Allen Ream. There we go. According there to go. Wikipedia, which I cannot verify, but that is what they say. His name is Richard Allen Ream, aka Ricky Rocket of the. American glam metal band Poison. That's great. Ter- that's a great phrase, glam metal. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I think I've told you before, but that's the first drummer I ever wrote a letter to. I was oh, like yeah, seven years that. old. Yeah, wrote him a letter and just still remember. I still remember writing it by hand and telling him if I could ever be half as good as you, it'll be a great life. And Where all did this you stuff. send it then, to? 
I, I just gave it to my grandma. She said she'd track him down, so I'm sure it never even went anywhere. <laughs> That's amazing. Probably just put it in her drawer but uh but yeah i uh that was you know it's funny and that's ricky rocket is probably why i let all of my students have their favorite drummers without telling them no 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 you got to check out this guy you got to check out this guy it's like Mm -hmm. no your favorite drummer is the guy who plays in your favorite band when you start paying attention to music and start paying attention to drums so it doesn't even matter you're not thinking how good is he or she. All you're thinking is like, well, I like this band and they're the drummer for it. And it was, I mean, the absolute height of MTV. Yeah, so every time I, I turned on the yeah. TV, I see Ricky Rocket flipping his stick yeah. and, you know, in slow motion. And I'm like, well, he must be the best. They filmed him in slow motion. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, he was very featured too. That's what I liked about it. His setup was always set up in a cool way so you could see all everything he sure. was doing and he always got good airtime in the videos, so he was. Yeah. and the drums were always mixed really loud in the on the Poison records. Totally, absolutely. I mean, I, I learned all of that stuff, um, you yeah. know. And I think, uh, oh, what's the song? Uh, they do a cover on um, on their first major album, and I just remember the lyric out of the car long hair ooh wee um, and, and it's like it's like and I had to I, you know like seven years old just trying to learn this like classic blues shuffle yeah. Um, but yeah so uh, really cool stuff now I'm sure you know Ricky from because he's always at NAMM shows and stuff Have you, I'm sure you've met him before oh yeah I mean we've met you know in passing uh, at NAMM shows when he was uh, running his drum company Rocket Drum Works so he had a booth there yeah, met him a few times, and then I got to review his. He did a signature ride symbol with Bosphorus a, a while oh, ago. Oh wow, which was a really cool symbol. It had like one of those giant bells. <laughs> you know? Okay, yeah, yeah, of it course, was like a mega bell, but it was a Turkish made symbol. A so Turkish it was, mega bell. It was a really interesting sound because it still had that like low, smoky Turkish type of vibe, but it was this big rock symbol. It was heavy and it had it was, a giant. Was it bell. milky? No, it wasn't <laughs> milky. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, but it was smoky. I don't know what I was saying. Anyway. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, bro. Okay, so so what's he up to now? Uh well I mean, Poison's still still kicking it, man. They're they're out Jeez. there rocking. I mean they gotta be I mean, they have to be the last holdover from that era, which it goes to show how I mean they were a real deal. They were they were badass. I mean their guitarist is probably gonna go down in history as one of the best yeah. uh, rock guitarists. Got Brett Michaels. I mean, how much more of a front man, legendary front man can you get? And Ricky, yeah. man, he's a he's a powerhouse. So we do want to mention he's in the June issue. So he did actually. He's he's recovering from cancer, which is really kind of surprising. oh my gosh, yeah, he's a survivor. So God bless Ricky and and hope everything is still going strong. It looks like he's back, you know, back with poison. So everything is is motoring on. Uh, That's really cool. He definitely he was one of my first idols. I remember. Um, Gosh, it, again, it would have been like 1990. So music was really cool around that time period. Like, yeah, you, you had so much stuff. Like, I remember yeah. MTV would be, it would be Poison and Bon Jovi would be kind of representing the the hard rock. And then you'd have... And White Snake. White Snake. Then you'd have like yeah. R.E.M., this weird alternative band that was yep. always on the air. And then Bobby Brown and like Whitney Houston and... It right. was really, and it was like this rotation of like it's all cool. Like I don't remember ever thinking, "Oh, I hate that." Or why no, they keep no, that. Every, everyone cool. gave you a breath of fresh air from the last one. Um, yeah, 
you know. And the other thing that I really liked from that era was that there were drum sets in every video, even yeah. if it was Bobby Brown and it was like program tracks. There was still yeah, they were like, well, we got to get a drummer for the video. <laughs> yeah, Zorro back there killing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. Like going from especially when they would have like power rock hour or something, and you would mm. see Warrant. And then straight into yeah, L.A. Guns, Winger, <laughs> Slaughter, <laughs> Slaughter <laughs> White so Snake, all them. that stuff. But it was it was a time where the drummer, like you said, was featured, and it gave people like of our generation, like, okay, well, this is possible. Look how many guys there are doing this. Yeah, I can totally do this. Yeah. And then you see Prince with Sheila E, and that's yep. giving all the female drummers like, well, I could do this. She's killing it. Yeah. Um, and I think that and, was the time when Terry Lynn Carrington was the house drummer on the Arsenio Hall band. Yep. So there's just yep. all kinds of cool drumming. I even had like one of my, my baseball buddies, my little league buddies, he came over to my house and saw I had a drum set and he goes, can you play Unskinny Bop? <laughs> like that was the first song he thought of. <laughs> can you play Unskinny, Unskinny Bop? Bop? So we, so we cranked that on my, my little you know Montgomery Ward stereo and I played along to it because I was listening to that tape all the time. Yeah, it was like them sure. and Living Color and U2 and Ramones. Like for me, it was all just just music. There was never. There's like also a, an age that we have, or that everyone has, where no one's old enough to tell you that the music you listen to is uncool because no one has enough knowledge to know that something's cool or uncool. They haven't made those decisions yet. So you could listen to, like you said, Poison straight into REM, and it doesn't matter. It's like I don't know. I remember learning Poison songs back to back with um uh we didn't start the fire is that billy joel oh yeah yeah that was the same time period yeah yeah and i just remember like i can't keep up i can't keep i can't catch my breath it's so hard this is cardio and uh but yeah i was i was listening to billy joel and poison and all i mean really there was popular radio you know we had and at the time poison was was pop because it was popular music yeah Um, but it was hard rock and that was for me it was totally brought that because i kind of came up in the you know, my my dad listened to The Doors and Led Zeppelin, and, and I kind of first got infatuated with Van Halen, and then Twisted yeah. Sister was like my favorite band. I, it's so. so funny. I was going to say that Poison was that nice balance between Twisted Sister going one step too far with the theatrics, uh, the goofiness, yeah. even though I loved it, and then um, maybe maybe something like Zeppelin where there's it's just pure music, you yeah. know, and just for the soul of it. And then Poison was in the middle, you know, Motley Crue. I mean, obviously, I was a yeah. huge, I mean, I was an obsessive Motley Crue fan. Um, I wasn't so, allowed to listen to Motley Crue. Really? <laughs> That's awesome. That, that, their album, Shout Out the Devil, I think. Shout Out the Devil, I remember, yeah. I was like, I, just, I have to get that. It has devil in the title. <laughs> and my mom was like, nay, nay, son, nay, nay. I was like, I was like, Mom, they're not actually devil worshippers. But at the time, we didn't have the internet, so there was just stories like, no, 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 really, they kill like ten chickens right before every show. Yeah, I'm like, Mom, that's not true. Stupid rumors. <laughs> like, no, Ozzy's on plane, just planes biting off the heads of bats. And I'm like, okay, that one might be true, but <laughs> Motley Crue's on point. They're fine. Uh, that's awesome. Well, definitely do a little '80s research. Check out Ricky Rocket, and if they come through your area, go check them out. They're, I'm sure they're still an amazing amazing show and a great nice arena band to watch and yeah it's cool to just seen remember them, that everyone, time everyone that i've said i know that's seen them now and back then says they're still killing it so i bet yeah of course yeah, monster cool. awesome well that's where we at now we've got oh we've got to bring uh our our advertiser moment in so thanks to dream symbols for sponsoring this week's episode so i figured rather than just pontificating let's just drop in some audio of their bliss paper thin crashes you can kind of hear 
you know how cool these symbols sound and you know if you want to chime in afterwards but anyway this is the dream bliss paper thin crashes i believe they are 14 through 19 14 15 16 no it's 15 16 17 18 19 inch crashes let's check them out Yeah, so that is the Dream Bliss Paper Thin Crashes. I, I really dig the bigger sizes, but you should definitely go check them out. So thanks again, Dream, for sponsoring the show. And now let's move into our gear review section, which last week you alluded to it. You got to check out mm-hmm. Sugar Percussion's Stave Cherry 6x14. Yeah, uh, the Eastern Black Cherry 6x14. Six, this is the first time I've ever played a 6x14. I've played every 6.5 that I know of, and I've played every 5.5, oh, but yeah. never played a 6. Yeah, it's cool. Huh. Really cool. Um, and I like the size, and it didn't feel massive, and it didn't feel like I just couldn't get enough out of it. Now, the drum itself, the the quality is just unreal it's so beautiful um i love the fact they've got their own lugs and i love that the, the fact that their badge is like embedded in the shell it just looks i know really i love that cool. and it's really like yeah. it's rounded everything is rounded and like yeah there's no sharp it's a edges. smooth drum yeah. you know and my first time hearing about them actually wasn't from them or from their, their drum company it was really from you turning me on to aaron sterling yeah and then me researching aaron sterling and, and i was trying to find more videos of him but one of the batch of videos that comes up is him demoing all of their snares yeah and I think what it's, you know, it's funny when you have, there's a reason that companies endorse artists. I've, I'm in the game. I've played my whole life. I've had endorse, endorsements my, my whole life, but there's still a customer me that says, well, if Aaron Sterling thinks it's good, it must be good. <laughs> yeah. No I questions mean, asked. Yeah. Right. I mean, he must be obsessive about sound. That's, I remember thinking the same thing with Meinl. I'm like, well, if Benny Greb is playing Meinl and he's obsessed, there must be some reason. Yeah. Um, and, and so anyways, obviously we know that all companies make incredible product. But I did have a chance to talk to Jefferson over at Sugar Percussion before I even got the snare so I could learn a little bit more about it. This is a stave snare. Uh, so if you guys know what uh, the difference between a solid shell and a stave snare this is a think of like a wine barrel or think of maybe a conga drum this is a bunch of little blocks of wood all put together in a row but the one thing that's really important is all of his stave shells are made from one tree so even it's not just he's getting cherry wood this is cherry wood from the exact same tree that's making up this shell which i think is really important Mm. Um, i also love that they give you a wood density so mm-hmm. you know how hard the wood is. And this is a six out of a total of 11. So he says he said this is his most versatile drum that they make. It could do pretty much anything you want to do. So it's kind of the working man snare drum from Sugar. And the other thing is that I found with this drum, sound-wise, is it's probably the best backbeat drum I've ever played. Hmm. Um, like just when, simple backbeats? Just simple, yeah. Like when you give the drum a full amount of space and you don't cloud it with nine ghost notes after every backbeat, it really fills up the wave file. And we first tested it when the campers were here. It it showed up when I was doing a camp two weeks ago, pulled it out of the box. Everybody oohed and awed at how beautiful it is. And then we put it on the drum 
and I'd had my A and F up for a while, right? So they were very used to that. Hit it, and everybody was like, "Cool, sounds like a good drum." And I was like, "Well, let's track it." So then we tracked it, and everybody was like, "Whoa, mm. there, that is not the same drum you just played." <laughs> so if you're looking for a recording drum, this is definitely one to consider. The microphone absolutely loves it. I mean, it sounds fantastic in person, but it even sounded better through the microphone. Um, so yeah, I, I think that Jefferson puts a ton of care into this. It comes with a trick throw off, so you're getting a really nice multi-step nice. three-way throw off, pure sound snare wires, die-cast hoops. And the fact that it's just hand built, you know, there's a, there's a person making this. I also found that this drum really could handle lower tunings than any drum I've owned. So, yeah, which I was to able to get this thing to his bearing edges being just so precise, like it doesn't, yeah. it stays balanced really low. Yeah, yeah. it was I, really pretty incredible. You know, let's listen um, to the dang thing. All right, <laughs> you got it. All right. <laughs> Uh, so this is me blowing chops on the six by fourteen Eastern Black Cherry. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start off with a nice medium tuning. Now this is the stock head that the drum came with, which is a Remo Emperor coated, and there is no muffling on the drum. Now I'm going to crank it up pretty high. And finally, super low. So my thoughts is that thing has a lot of air to it. Like it, just it really puts does out a lot of air. It almost has like a natural reverb to the to the resonance. That's I can see what you mean by like it. It's a backbeat drum. It fills can, up the wave file. It plays like a half note almost, but not like a a ringy annoying half note. It's just like this no. pleasant. And air. I mean that's that's absolutely no muffling. That's the stock head. That's as open as it's going to get. Because I kind of feel like I mean, you and I have talked about this before, but I feel like when it comes to demos. I hope our listeners know you can shut up any drum with a piece of gaff tape or some yeah, buzz yeah. kills or moon gels. So we always want to present it to you with as much life as the drum has to offer. That way also you can hear when the j- drum is starting to choke out when we demo it for you in higher tunings where you mm. wouldn't know if that was gaff tape or something else that's causing that. But that drum, I mean, it sounds great high tuned as well, but in that medium and low tuning, it just sings, man. Yeah. It just has so much life. So I thought it was fantastic. Also, single lug design, so you're looking at minimal um, lug-to-shell contact, so that that's probably another reason why the shell's allowed to do it. Mm. But I, I will say this. I'm not a fan of stave drums. I never have been, um, mm-hmm. but this one worked. The end... I know that you reviewed it about two years ago. The inside of the shell is as beautiful as the outside. So. I know. It looks like a finely polished piece of furniture. It's like oh, everything about it is yeah. perfectly designed. It's pretty well done. It's pretty well done. So I'm actually looking forward to, uh, before I send it back to Jefferson, I'm looking forward to maybe trying out the angel hoops on it, 
trying oh, this, yeah. uh, the 602 or 302, the, the Brooklyn hoops, trying some different, because I have only tried it with the diecast hoops. But just so you guys know, you're looking at about 899 on most retail sites for this drum. So it's a professional level snare drum. It is handmade, but it's, it's some serious, serious quality. So that is the 14 by six sugar percussion, solid stave, Eastern black cherry snare drum. All right. Now let's get into your listener questions. Oh, I forgot. I had to make a correction from last week. Not a correction, a clarification. Biscuits. Uh, Maxwell's drum shop didn't close down because of the building fire. I had several people kind of freaking out like, Oh my God, is it gone? It was a, it was a fire in the restaurant on the first floor, which caused, caused them the building to be shut down for a day, but they're fully operational. I, I don't think they lost any merchandise or anything like that. So <laughs> please go visit Steve Maxwell's That's and awesome. tell him Mike sent you and buy something. <laughs> buy something expensive <laughs> buy and something really mention Mike Dawson. Yes. At Modern Drummer Magazine, yeah, always in favor of Maxwell's drum I shop. I didn't mean to uh, figuratively set anyone's hair on fire, but that... Uh, <laughs> I that. could totally see them with their own <laughs> podcast and be like, yeah, I guess Mike'sLessons.com got shut down for like some sort of spam virus thing, so <laughs> he just doesn't have a website anymore. And I'm like, no! It's totally open! I, I don't I think my little... that I said they closed down, but... <laughs> no, you just you said know. you thought they possibly moved somewhere else. Well, so. no, that they definitely haven't moved, but there was there was there's been discussion of are they going to move or when are they going to move? Because I, gotcha. I think the building has some damage, but again, I'm not going to I'm not going to go any further than say Steve <laughs> Maxwell's is definitely open and please let them know. I go said, down. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I'm just as a California kid. That's always been the place I've wanted to go because I always see their stuff. And I'm like, I mean, I don't have an option really until I drive to Fresno, which is four hours from me to Bentley's drum shop. I don't have an option to see old Gretsch round badge kits. And it, even, even if I can see them, he's I want to see all of them. I think he still has Louis Belson's kid in there. I mean, he's got some historic pieces in there. So yeah, I mean, anyway. I, I love that stuff. So, <laughs> so just to clarify, uh, so there our first go. question comes from Andre from Vancouver. Um, when playing the kit, I prefer traditional grip for jazz and Latin, and match grip for rock or metal. Uh, I like practicing both grips, but with only an hour a day available for practice, I wonder if I'm doing myself a disservice. What do you guys think? Wow, it's a great question, man. I know and that's we such have, a common we, question. I think you and I have opposite, probably have opposite theories on this. My theory is pick your favorite grip and stick with it. Yeah. Um, whatever you play, just play something great. Um, and I've seen people like Todd Zuckerman go choke way down on the stick in traditional grip and get the fattest sound ever in Vinny yeah. Caliuta as well. And I've seen people like Mark Juliana play in full matched grip and choke up on the stick and get the most delicate jazz sound ever. So I think yeah. just pick one and do your best with it. Yeah, I guess I'm not completely opposite, but I I think if you like them both, use them both. I don't see any harm. Uh, and that for me comes from spending years learning all these techniques to play classical music. You know, mm. Stevens four mallet grip versus the Burton four mallet grip versus the scissors grip and traditional grip for a marching band and match grip for a concert band and I play traditional grip when I play jazz I don't see any of that as a loss of time sure. practicing I don't ever use actually that's not true I do sometimes go use two sticks in one hand to get if I'm trying to play like a one handed roll while hitting some other stuff I'll, so I do apply some of that technique that I learned over the years but largely I'm not playing Steven's grip marimba grip on the drum set ever but right and I practiced that probably two, three hours a day for four years. I don't, I don't think it made me worse. <laughs> you know? Right? I don't think yeah, it, I, I, it didn't I hurt think actually both of our opinions come down to something that we talked about really early on in this, which is practice doesn't make you worse. 
Yeah, any kind of just practice. practice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend mean, to practice on the pad with traditional grip, and then drum set mostly match grip. You know what's really weird, man? Is I've I've noticed in my when I see a video of me myself giving a clinic, I almost always explain things with traditional grip. Meaning I don't know that my hand is switched to it, but anytime I'm just kind of talking, it's almost like my jazz or my, it's like my drummer educator pose. And I just happen <laughs> to keep my left hand in traditional grip. And then I demo everything in traditional grip until it gets serious. Once it's like, okay, now I'm going to drop the hammer. Then I go back, but I, I don't know what's happening in the moment. And I'll watch a video. I'm like, why the hell am I holding my stick in traditional grip? Like, I just picture you doing one of those old school ads with like a turtleneck and holding your sticks in traditional <laughs> totally, totally. grip. And it's all, it's the whole ad is just kind of yellow shifted a little bit. Like it's just like so for some this reason is, they had to print it on parchment. This is the serious um, version. I'm I'm serious. Yeah. I've got my turtleneck on, and I just want you to know that uh, just authored a book called "Blowing Chops" with Steve Snare Drum. And uh, yeah, so so yeah, I'm, I think we kind of agree that. I'm cool with either, and I don't think that that's the thing that will slow you down. I think right. the most important thing is just practice. Exactly. Next one is from Bill Haas, or I guess that's how you pronounce it, H-A-A-S-E. Bill Haas, he's saying, can you discuss the journey of the transform- transformative awakening from a non-musical to a musical ear for persons aspiring to become players and musicians? Are there avenues wow, and or instruction question. leading to the development and nurturing of one's musical intelligence? I mean, these are... These are heavy. Do you remember the moment in your personal journey when you heard the world around you differently? That's probably the good place to start. Yeah, I agree. Um, do I you agree. remember the moment? I, I remember two instances. Um, one was I was the late night hang with some college friends. We, I think it was my fourth year in college, so I didn't really my ear didn't open up until I was a senior in college. Uh, okay, and he had a great stereo and he threw on Tool. Um, the enema lateralis or enema okay and all of a sudden i like i could hear so much detail that i'd never heard before and i could hear like his left foot sort of not quite perfectly in time that i'd never had heard before and it was like whoa yeah. my ears just completely opened up in a way it's, that like i'd, I'd never heard really, music that way before in the moment that it happens it's like kind of popping your ears as you land from a plane mm-hmm. you know all of a sudden it's like Wait, that must have been there this whole time. I just yeah. couldn't hear it. Yeah, and um, I think I think that the key is you have to practice listening. I think I can totally. I, I can tell you when I was in music school, like it was me and thirty other guys and girls who were just obsessed with getting better at drums and percussion. None of us listened to enough music. All we did was right. practice technique and etudes yeah. and grooves and and rehearsal yeah. with bands and we never just sat down and just listened to music and tried to analyze like do you really know what's happening i had so the other moment was when i was in a drum set lesson you know i was like the hot shot jazz guy at the school i mean there was three or four of us who could actually right. play a swing beat but right. um, and, and he had me play along to freddie freeloader by miles okay. davis with jimmy cobb mm-hmm. and i was like sure i've had this record since i was 14 i know i, I can play this and I was playing along, and he goes, all right, what just changed in the music? I'm like, mm, I have no idea what just changed. <laughs> yeah, I literally, yeah. I've been listening to this record for 10 years, and I have no idea what changed. What, you know, what, and he meant, like, what the piano player definitely went to a different approach. What did he do? And I had wow. no clue. It was so embarrassing. So embarrassing. Wow. So from that well, day I mean, on, I was like, all right, I'm going to analyze these records. I'm going to not just listen to the drums. I'm going to see what is the piano yeah. doing. When does he change? why does the bass player go to a certain pedal point at certain points in the song yeah why does the drummer go to rim click like i started just really analyzing 
just through listening. So I think that's a it's heavy fun practice. too. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, uh, at the two days ago, uh, we had a man on the moon practice, and the three of us came in the control room in here, and. I put on. I said, have, "Have you guys heard Laura Mavula?" And they said, "No." And I said, oh, "I really want you to check this out. This is like my favorite artist in the world." And I put it on, and all we did was sit there and try to identify instruments. And, mm-hmm. and so it was like, and these are because she recorded with an orchestra. So I remember I was cue our bass player. I was like, I was like, "Do you think that's a clarinet?" And it was just this, but it was so in the background. He's like, "Yeah, it's it's way too." I don't think a bass clarinet. He's like, "No, the backgrounds are ba- is bass clarinet." Um, Mm. and then, and then, yeah, the, the lead line is clarinet and we're, and we're going through it. And then, and then there was this one part where Dean said, our guitar player, Dean, he goes, are those chimes? And and I, and we rewound the track, those chimes, they kept coming in on the same spot. And I go, no, there's no, there's no pitch difference whatsoever. It's one exact pitch. I'm like, I think that's somebody literally playing a role at the top apex of a triangle really fast going, Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I mean, just to sit there and do that with like my band buddies, it was yeah. heaven. It was awesome. I know for me, uh, my kind of aha moment was probably somewhere in high school when my personal mixing board clicked in and I could finally listen to music with headphones on and in my brain, turn down the fader for the vocalist, turn the, down the fader for mm-hmm. the bass player, turn down the fader for the guitar player, and all of a sudden start mixing like, all right, let me bring down the kick. I'm going to bring down the snare. Ah, there's the hi hat. By in itself. your imagination, you're talking. About. In my imagination, yes. Yeah. And all, all up until that moment, there was drum set. There yeah. was no hi hat, kick, and snare. <laughs> it was like, well, what's the drum part? And now I'm thinking, what's the hi hat part? If I could just figure out the hi hat part, then I'll learn one bass drum at a time. After that, and being able to mentally mix an album and just yeah. bring tracks down, that was like, okay, everything changed. But to to our listeners' question, it comes through practicing. You practice listening. You care yeah, you have about to. listening. You have to. You practice. have to. With intent, yeah. you can't be like brushing your teeth and doing the dishes while music's playing. That's, consider that's that practice. Inactive listening, but yeah, active listening is totally down. different. Nothing. Headphones usually is the best for me, and not. It's uh, beautiful. I'm a. I'm a quasi narcoleptic so if i'd like sit down and close my eyes i end up falling asleep <laughs> right <laughs> you have so to do, you have to stay awake through it you have to yes. kind of be like in an attentive state and just you know sit and it's it is it's like a it's hard to describe that feeling when when the cloud just lifted for me and i was like whoa i can hear everything now and Man. i started hearing the chord changes in a way that i'd yeah. like because especially with jazz if you if you don't if you can't hear the chords because they're doing so many substitutions and the bass player might not ever be playing the root you're like i don't know what's going on you're just guessing right. like i think they're at the bridge because they got louder i don't know but all of a sudden <laughs> something clicked and i'm like i can hear it all like it's all there i know exactly where they are in the forum yeah like years yeah, and years of listening and getting frustrated and getting lost and another good thing apart different things to, to help you with that listening and to help uh, disseminate that stuff is start start in some of that sixty late sixties early seventies rock music. Start with Sergeant Pepper's. Start with Beach Boys' Pet Sounds and do it with headphones. And you'll and because they tracked so hard, panned right, panned left, you'll you'll actually hear like oh, okay, there's French horn in my left ear, and there's yeah. and that's different than a trumpet with a mute. Now I can yeah. tell the difference because trumpet with the mute is in my right ear and French horns in my left ear, and you'll it'll it'll start to happen, and it's a fun fun process. So yeah, another awesome. good one is. Uh, again kind of blue because there's two saxophones there's an alto saxophone and a tenor saxophone so you if you can identify exactly when one person ends and the other one starts because sometimes Mm. cannibal adderley 
sounds a little bit like Coltrane, and then sometimes Coltrane sounds a little bit like Cannonball. So if you're just passively listening, like, oh, it's a saxophone solo, you don't realize that they actually changed halfway through. <laughs> you're like, that's so and, cool. You know, little things like that, and, and then locating them in the panning, like you said, it's. I, I, yeah. I love that. I love just sitting listening. I don't do enough of it. I don't think any of us, especially in this country, do enough of just enjoying music without having a movie or some sort of spectacle right. wrapped around it or a video yeah. attached to it. But like when you hit that audio. zone as a listener, man, I mean, you, you realize why music will always be here. It's why I never, yeah. ever freak out when people say, like, well, are you worried about like drum machines taking over or programming taking over? I'm like, you don't get it, man. This is human <laughs> nature. Like, We cannot get rid of human beings making music. It's in our DNA. It'll yeah. always be there. So, Awesome. All right, one more. This one comes from Big Al. So he says, this is kind of a fun one. I hear a lot of talk about various jazz drummers who have the last name Jones on your podcast. How many Joneses are there? Uh, I think I am confusing some of them. So he wants to keep up with the Joneses, he says. So a brief summary. Uh, I guess Papa Joe is, the, is probably the first one that I can think of. So yeah. he was in the Count Basie band, and he's the guy who's largely credited with kind of trademarking the open closed hi-hat swing pattern and also one of the first guys to use the ride symbol more exclusively one of the greatest showmen on the planet amazing soloist amazing brush player so he was kind of like the guy he kind of defined new york city jazz drumming so then i have a teacher in new york yeah right had a music school um i don't know if elvin came out before philly joe but they popped on the scene probably philly joe came out before elvin jones so Philly Joe Jones is from Philadelphia, and he kind of became famous for joining the Miles Davis Quintet in the 50s. No relation to Papa Joe. They're just two different Joneses. <laughs> it's a pretty and, common name. Then you've got Elvin Jones, who we all we think of him with John Coltrane's uh, quartet, but he also did tons of records with everybody. But right. he comes from a huge family of Joneses. So you've got Hank Jones and and, and Thad Jones. I mean, these are all his. These are his brothers, and these are all like legendary jazz musicians. So there's just Elvin's family alone. I think Elvin's actually the baby of his family. Really? Yeah. There's just there's so many Joneses wrapped up in that '50s '60s jazz scene. But those are the three that I can think of: Papa Joe, yeah, Philly Joe, Philly Joe, Elvin, and Elvin Jones. Jones. Yeah. And now there's I think, there's Willie Jones who's currently playing <laughs> Willie Jones yeah III. Willie Jones the third yeah. that was my that's my guy man so I'm playing with Bramford and just blew my mind he was like okay if I'm gonna live up to this legacy of the Joneses I better blaze that guy's incredible I'm a huge fan of his so well there we go hope All that right. helps Big Al listener questions and Big Al's got something for our 100th episode that is awesome oh that came from him yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been taking that notes is, and, and tabulating I, us. <laughs> holy hell! I can't wait to drop that on the listeners. They're gonna. That was really interesting to read. So just so you guys know, when we hit our hundredth episode, we got a top twenty list for you. That uh, <laughs> it made me realize we need a little more variation in our stuff. <laughs> Uh, especially when I got down to like 19 and 20, I'm like, how is that possible? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyways, we'll fill you in later. All <laughs> right, it's time to get to our picks of the week. My pick of the week this time is uh, something that, I don't know, we don't ever really talk about this enough, but uh, full disclosure, I'm an Audio-Technica microphone artist, and that being said, my pick of the week is the Audix D6 kick drum <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I think it's just awesome. I, I think yeah. it really just does its damn job. Old standby. It's, it's, yeah, it's $200, and it, especially, I mean this for the people that are really not interested in heavy mixing. 
they literally just want to have a kick drum tone. I think the Audix D6 and the Sure Beta 52 both do that job of kick, and it's like, yeah. done, thanks. Yeah. And literally, you almost don't have to EQ it at all. You, you might mess it up by EQing it a ton. You know, yeah. um, you can boost a little bit of highs for more attack. You, can boost a, you don't really need to boost any lows. It's a sub-impulse kick microphone. So it, it does a great job of boosting. It's pre-EQed. That's the whole Audix thing. Yeah, so, and, it's, and the thing with, with bass drums is when you get a mic inside the drum, it's that low mid-range that, that builds up. So Audix said, right. all right, we're just going to get rid of all that right away so you don't have to later go in and do it. Yeah. I mean, sub, but but if you want to use that mic on the outside of the drum, that's when it it becomes like one dimensional. It just sounds like right. Every drum sounds like a bass drum through an Audix yeah. six at that point. It's right, still a right. great sound, but but it, yeah, I mean, for me, I want more flexibility, and that's why I use the microphones I use. But when you know when people say, "Hey, which Audio Technica mic should I get for my kick?" and I'm like, "Well, they make great kick mics. It's fine, but they're also very honest, and you might actually not want the truth." Yeah. So a or D6. Spend that much time. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like, dude, I just want an overhead and a, and a mic and a bass drum mic. And I always tell them, just get an Audix D6, man. It's an yeah. it's a standard, and it's got a super high SPL of 144 dB, so you're not going to blow it out by sticking it straight in the kick. It's awesome, man. It's just a great mic. So that that's all there is to it. Dig it. So mine is, um, I keep going back to this Dave Desenso video. He he's he's kind of been like posting occasionally. He'll post lessons on his YouTube channel, but recently he, I think he did like a twenty minute lesson at least on his kind of applying Dude, some of the ideas. Forty two minutes. Forty two minutes. So he's kind of giving you his whole his whole spiel on how to internalize time using the voice, and it's it's. It, it seems like, okay, I can do that. But once he starts getting into it and he's like counting the subdivisions and accenting the E with his voice while playing grooves over top of it and never wavering, that's when it's like, okay, I think the reason that Dave Desenzo's performance at the Modern Drummer Festival killed everyone was because of how controlled he was with the time and the feel. Like every note just felt like it was just perfectly placed. Never Dude, felt this frantic. is great. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of his, and I'm always bummed that I, I mean, I have his book and everything, and I, I can never really find him teaching. This is awesome. Yeah, it's good. I'm like it, watching it is, right now. It's yeah. a supplement to his book. Um, so some of the terminology he uses in the video, you, you might, it might kind of confuse you because you don't have the book in front of you. Right. But still, if you just kind of go through it, I mean, you're going to pick up one or two things. The lesson, the biggest lesson that I learned is if you can't count out loud and play, then you don't have control over what you're trying to play. Ultimately, that's you know, Yost Nickel preaches that exact same point yes. very violently. <laughs> so the video is called "Using Your Mind to Improve Your Time" by Dave Desenzo. It's and he's an amazing drummer. I love just watching him play. He's he's so yeah. fun, <laughs> and his sound is always cool. amazing. <laughs> what a cool setup too. He's is rocking the, like the standard four piece Ludwig Blue Sparkle with a, like a it must be a twenty four to the side of his floor tom oh yeah right oh. yeah yeah so cool stuff. yeah no that's it's it's that's great man well i will i appreciate that pick because i'll check it out for myself i'm a big dave Desenzo fan and i've never you know he he blew everyone's mind at modern drummer festival and then in in typical dave fashion just left and he yeah. was like figure it out i'll give you the next <laughs> two decades kids <laughs> i was like good god i mean you literally if you guys haven't seen that i've talked about that dang solo so much but if you haven't seen the the modern drummer solo with dave Desenzo. You could just grab any point in time and grab four bars of it, and that's your next year of study. Yeah. Like, he's so in control and so musical, and I think it Dude. all wraps around the fact that he has complete command of everything he plays. He's never just yeah. letting his hands go nuts on the drums. 
and it never really crazy stuff sounded like an exercise it it always sounded like he was just in the flow like there was just this it was great man i i I can't even imagine the life of practice that led up to that performance because that that to me was his entire life of practicing and and drumming all in just this beautiful 15 to 18 minute drum solo i just i still look at that as one of the best drum solos of all time so all right, everybody. Well, thank you guys for all of your questions. Keep sending those into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We are closing in on episode 100, which will we'll have a nice contest for you guys for episode 100. Give you some amazing prizes just to say thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this podcast because it's been a fun journey for Mike and myself. So everyone have a fantastic week. And Mike, I'll see you soon, buddy. Indeed. Late. Milky. Milky. <laughs>